0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, looking at verses 10 through 14. Some of you were part of the uh, series in Jeremiah that we went through in the evening service uh, for some period of time. Jeremiah is a large book. We didn't cover every chapter necessarily, but... Um, went through it over a period of time, but today we want to look just at chapter 29, uh, verses 10 through 14. Uh, Jeremiah is a big book, and there are parts of it that are familiar to you, and perhaps uh, not uh, any as familiar as uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And we want to look at that verse and look at what it says, certainly in its day, uh, but what it says to us as believers as well. So uh, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the scriptures, thank you for this passage, and Father, as we study it, we pray for uh, your spirit to lead us into a right knowledge of your word, Father, to stir our hearts with adoration and love for you, and repentance and faith in Christ, and we pray it in his name, amen. War. International upheaval, threats of terrorism, politics, gas prices once again exceeding $3 a gallon, national debt. You listen to the news very often, you just pay attention very much, you'll find that there are a lot of reasons to get discouraged, to get depressed. That's hard for us as Christians because we can feel the weight of all of that together, of course, with uh, things on a much smaller scale that we deal with in our lives. And we know the Scriptures call us to uh, to be filled with joy, to rejoice always. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. And yet we may think, well, how how can we? With the things I deal with in my life, the things I hear about in my nation, the things going on in the world, things that are, are bad news or at least uncertain, maybe scary Um Where in that is is the joy? Where in that is the uh, reason to rejoice? Well, on the one hand, we need to have perspective. Uh, I've sometimes thought about that. We, We tend to assume that our age is the worst, that the things we deal with now, no other age has ever known. Well, ask the people who are raising their kids in the Great Depression or sent their children off to fight World War II or were raising their children in the 60s, or survived that fashion disaster known as the 1970s, Uh, I think parents, those growing up in those days, all felt the sense of discouragement that can come from events going on in the world. Certainly, uh, others have lived through and raised children in and thrived in and even rejoiced in very difficult times in terms of The world, the nation, and our personal lives. When we look at a situation today, our text occurs in, that was a time of almost inconceivable upheaval. National disaster. Judah had been captured by another nation. Had been defeated. Had been taken captive. Their city, capital city, Jerusalem, reduced to rubble desecrated, defiled, uh, almost unthinkable that this would happen. And yet God had said it would happen. The worst part about it was they brought it on themselves. God had repeatedly sent his prophets calling them to repent, calling them to return to him, calling them to covenant faithfulness to the God who had uh, brought them out of Egypt, who had established them as a nation, who had promised that as they were faithful to him, he would bless them. But when they turned from him, he would bring curses down on them. And God kept his covenant. He was very patient, sent warning after warning, appeal after appeal. But finally, the northern kingdom went by the wayside for its idolatry. And then finally, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, uh, was taken by the Babylonians. And yet, even in that, God's mercy is seen. Their exile would have a limit. Uh, Earlier, Jeremiah had prophesied that it would be for a period of time of 70 years. And again, that's referred to Here in verse 10, bleak days for the people of God. And yet, there was reason for optimism. There was reason for hope. There was reason not to give over to despair. And the very reason that they had is the same reason that you and I have as believers with whatever we deal with today, personally or in our world uh, have every reason for optimism, every reason for joy. Not because we may not be hurting, not because times may be hard, not because there's not struggle, but because we know how it ends. We know where it's heading. We know ultimately the outcome, and it's good. It's it's like watching a, a, a tape, a video, a recording, a DVR uh, of a football game where your team wins, and you know the outcome. Right. And your team in the middle of the game fumbles the ball and the other team scores and it looks bleak. But you're not worried because, you know, your team wins in the end. You just watch it play out. And exactly. It's exactly what happens. Well, it's not exactly the same, but essentially the principle remains uh the same and that we know how this all will end. And so as we look at this passage, uh, it helps us to look at the world, to look at our lives, and yet to be able to remain in joy, cultivate joy, and have hope for the future. But let's look then at what uh, Jeremiah says here in these in these verses. On the one hand, number one, he says that we need to recognize our reality. We need to recognize our reality. Um, we need to recognize that we are a people in exile. Now, that was true for them. Verse 10 Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. But for now, they're in Babylon. And in fact, this occurs in the context of a letter that Jeremiah wrote to his uh, countrymen who were exiles, and they had heard rumors, well, a year or two, and it'll all be over, and we'll go home. We'll go back to Jerusalem. Some of the false prophets were teaching those things. And Jeremiah says, no, this is going to take a while. You're going to be there for a long time. And so you need to settle down, as he says in verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, and it's welfare you will find your welfare. But this is where they were. And it wasn't going to end in a year or two or ten. It would be uh, essentially for some of them a lifetime. Some of them would die and never see their homeland again. Uh, but they were to settle down and to be there. They were in a foreign country. If you want some glimpses into that, uh, read Daniel. Daniel lived during that time. He was in Babylon. He was one of these exiles living away from Jerusalem. We read his prayer earlier. But that's also true for us. As Christians, we are a people in exile. We are away from home. Now, when Peter refers to the elect exiles we saw earlier, uh, he could simply be referring in one sense to the fact that they're spread out. They're scattered. They're all the way from Jerusalem. But there's a deeper sense in which they and we are exiles. That this world in its fallenness, in its fallen condition, is not our, our home. It will be one day when it's restored, but we recognize that we live in a world that's characterized by sin, uh, which can manifest itself in minor, irritating ways, which can manifest itself in the most cruel, inhumane, devastating ways. Uh, but that's where we are. You know, there are some people who are believers or become believers under this idea that if you're a Christian, everything is better. Everything goes great. Well, that's not true. Christians suffer. Christians get cancer. Christians suffer injuries in automobile accidents. Christians die in plane crashes. It's part of living in a fallen world. And so we need to recognize that, the reality of that, so that we're not caught off guard. We're not pessimistic. We're just accurate in our assessment of this time, this world in which we live. Uh, And and when we do that, that helps us to be prepared. We're not always just waiting for the other shoe to drop, but at the same time, we recognize that's the nature of this world we live in. They were in exile. They weren't where they came from. They weren't where they ultimately would be. Well, we are too. And we recognize that while we live in exile, life can be difficult. It can be hard. And yet, as he says, we are to you know, pray for this world. We are to make our home here. We are to love our neighbors. We are to be in the world, but not of the world, as the as scriptures tell us. Um, not isolating ourselves, not not being separatists, but living here, seeking to be a blessing to those around us, seeking to draw other people to, to know Jesus, that they would know the same Jesus, the same salvation that we have. And so that's the first thing Jeremiah is saying. It's it's not a year or two; it's seventy years. You're going to be there a while, so seek the welfare of that fallen city where you are, in that that foreign place where you are. Well, that's that's us too. We are those elect exiles living here in the world. Today, the second thing that he tells—I mean, it really is kind of the heart of this passage we're looking at—is not only to recognize our reality, to be realistic about where we live, evaluating it in theological terms. It's fallen, it's sinful, uh, and therefore broken, ultimately disappointing. But in the second place, in in verse eleven, to believe God's promise. If all we had was the fallen world, if all we had was the exile. We'd say, well, there's nothing left but despair. That's all there is. But we have more than that. We have the promise of God. And we see that in verse 11. He hints at that in verse 10, bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God's promise. This is what God is saying to them. And it's a definite plan. I know the plans I have for you. It's it's known to God. In fact, it's emphatic. I know. I, it's, it's it's repeated. You know, in Hebrew, emphasis is achieved by repeating something. I, I know the plans I have for you. That's them. They don't really understand. They don't really know what God has in mind. But God says, I do. I know the plans I have for you. It's very definite. It's known to God. Uh, in the same way that parents have to, or children have to trust their parents, to assume that their parents know what's going on, even when they don't, we have to trust that God knows what's going on. It's eternal. God's plan for us was something that is, that began in eternity past. It will, it will continue in eternity future. Verse 11 says, I know these plans I have for you, and it's certain. You know, you and I make plans, and the plans may have to change. Because maybe the weather was not what we were hoping for. Or maybe some new information has come to light. Uh, Or maybe we found out we were in error. God never suffers from those things. He doesn't have some new information that comes to mind that forces him to change his mind. He doesn't come to find out he he had an erroneous assumption. He was wrong about something and find that he has to say, okay, well, I need to, to evaluate and change my plans. You know, when God says, I know the plans I have for you, they are certain they will happen. It's this definite plan. It's also a good plan when he says, uh, I, I know the plans I have for you. He says, plans for wholeness and not for evil. You ever think God's plan for you is an evil one? That God just delights to grind you under his heel. They may have felt that way. I mean, here they were, the people of God, and yes, in their wickedness, and by the way, notice how Daniel mentions that. Daniel was a godly man, and yet he identified himself with his people to the degree, he says, us, we sinned against you, we were unfaithful to you, we did this, because he recognizes that they were a covenant people together. And even though Daniel himself was a very godly man, really couldn't be charged with the kind of Spiritual unfaithfulness that many of his countrymen were. He puts himself in with their guilt as he prays for their return. Well, we need to recognize that God's plan is not for evil. It wasn't for them. It may have seen that way. Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, many of their leaders are dead. Many of their best have been taken off into captivity in exile in Babylon. God says, my plans for you are for wholeness and not for evil. The word wholeness is a Hebrew word you know. It's the word shalom. We tend to think of it as being peace, sometimes used as a greeting. Uh, and it doesn't mean peace, but in a, in a broad and comprehensive sense of well-being. And, and I think wholeness here is a very good translation of the word. Uh, that God's plan for His people is not one of evil, but it's one of wholeness. It's one of of this, this peace. It's not just a, a fleeting good feeling, but everything being as it should be. Everything being right. That's God's plan for them. That's God's plan for us. So it is a good plan. It's a plan to develop good in them, even though at the moment it's a painful plan that pain will lead to a greater wholeness in the future. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, is dead on. Uh, Every parent, every good parent, faithful parent knows this. Uh, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, as children, we didn't like to be disciplined. Uh, And our parents probably did not enjoy disciplining us, just as you don't enjoy uh, in the sense of finding pleasure in disciplining your child. It's a painful experience. However, the goal of it is a good one. The goal is not evil, but wholeness. Well, when God leads us through difficulties, trials, afflictions, tests us, uh, his purpose is not evil. His purpose for us is for that, that wholeness, that shalom that he is at work. So it's a very definite plan. God knows what it is, and it will not be derailed or changed. We need to recognize that it is a good plan. Whatever God is doing in your life right now, as his child, as a Christian, that his purpose for you is to cultivate wholeness. Not to, to do you in, not to destroy you, but to build you up, make you strong, make you whole, make you like Christ. But it's also a purposeful plan, verse 11. He says, to give you a future and a hope. Now, those exiles needed to hear that. They were going to be in Babylon for a long time, for some of them a lifetime. But God says, my purpose is not to abandon you. It's to give you a future. You feel like you have no future. I will give you a future, and therefore, I give you a hope, something to look forward to, something to anticipate. And we need to hear that, too. Not just these exiles, but we need to hear that, too. So we believe God's promises in the scriptures for us, that that everything he brings into our lives, he works together uh, for our good, those who love him, who have been called uh, by him, belong to him. Uh, We recognize that he has promised he is sovereign over all things, Uh, that he has promised the return of Christ and the glory of a new heaven and a new earth. We believe those things. We believe that his plan is definite, it's good, it's purposeful. We're going in a direction. We're not just going around in meaningless circles. And so we recognize the reality of where we are, but we also uh, are encouraged by the promise of God that he is at work, that he has plans for us, for wholeness and not for evil that include a future and a hope. And speaking of which, uh, we also need to anticipate the future. We need to look forward to the future. Some of us don't. Some, some of you may dread waking up tomorrow because you, you just hate to think of what another day might bring. Uh, back when I was, before Barbara and I, Barbara and I were married, uh, she worked in public relations in a hospital. And they had a, a bookcase there filled with books that patients could request to read. Well, my eyes are always drawn to books and bookcases. and you know, I've looked over those books any number of times. Most of them I've forgotten. There was one book in particular that I remember uh, the title of. Um, it was written by a well-known author, general all-around man of letters, Joe Namath. The name of the book was... I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Yeah, I feel that way sometimes, but my wife assures me otherwise. No, can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Well, it's silly. I mean, even Joe Namath probably has turned the corner by now. But, you know, you think we laugh because we don't feel that way. I mean, maybe unless you're just young and you really are getting better looking every day. But even, you know, even as a teenager, you get up in the morning, you look, you know, you got a big zit growing on your nose and think, like, oh no. Or you get up and see a new wrinkle that's developed, or you get up and see a new, you know, more gray hair or more no hair. Um, we laugh because that's not our experience. Most of us probably don't feel like we get better looking every day. Um, but wouldn't it be great? If we did look forward to each day with that kind of optimism, that kind of enthusiasm, not because we're getting better looking, uh, but because God is at work you know, to anticipate the future rather than dreading the future. Well, as God's people, we have every reason to look forward to tomorrow and the next day and the next because it's leading to something magnificent. Look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I've sent you into exile. Part of that's fulfilled in Daniel's prayer that we read earlier. Notice that Daniel saw the promise. It didn't just say, well, God promised 70 years, that's just about up, so we'll sit back and see what happens. No, he takes that promise and he prays it. He confesses their sin. He acknowledges God's justice in doing what he did. But he also acknowledges God's mercy and pleads that God in his mercy would be faithful to bring them back to fulfill the promise that he's made. We do the same, praying these promises of God, praying that God would fulfill the things that he has said that he would do. Uh, and we we should pray that way i mean we we may pray things we don 't specifically know what god 's purpose is, but in general terms we do um we pray that god 's in the lord's prayer that god's will would be done, uh and those things that he has stated as his will you know, that he would provide for us that people would come to know christ that various things that, that God has revealed in Scripture that he desires that are his will, praying those confidently that God would bring those things to pass and look forward to ways that he does that, culminating with, of course, the return of Christ and glory. So as Christians, we don't have um just a naive, kind of Pollyanna-ish, blind optimism uh about the future, just hoping things will get better. We have confidence because of what God has done in Christ and because of the things that he's promised he will do based on what God has done in history and what God has revealed in his word. Uh, That we look forward, we can't wait till tomorrow, not because we get better looking every day, but because Christ gets better looking every day as we grow in him and pray and seek his will. And so yes it's easy to uh to go on the internet and read the headlines and and know what's going on to see the things that may be happening in your life that yes are discouraging and yes can be very hard but we don't give over to despair for the very reason that they should not give over to despair because of what the Lord says he says I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for wholeness not for evil to give you a future and hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for how you have fulfilled your promises in the past and how you will fulfill them in the future. Father, as your people, uh, as we live in this fallen world, we long for better things. But Lord, give us grace here and now to live in the midst of the pain of this life, the disappointments, the heartaches, the sorrows, as well as the joys, Lord, that you graciously bring to us, even in this fallen world. But, Father, above all, we look forward to that day when our, our prayers will be ultimately answered, when our faith will be sight, when the Lord Jesus returns and ushers in the new heavens and new earth, Lord, where everything will be restored, where everything will be made right, and where your people, once and forever, uh, finally and forever, will no longer be in exile. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, make it so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.